David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. We're going to have another great show today. We're going to have a Hall of Famer and Earl Campbell, and we're also going to have a gentleman who I thought was going to head into a Hall of Fame career back with the Atlanta Braves, but he went through numerous injuries and Bob Horner, so let's get right to the interview I did with NFL Hall of Famer Earl Campbell. Mr. Campbell, I see that you went to University of Texas. How come you chose Texas and not Oklahoma or some other college? Well, I feel like Texas and Darren Warrior was the best school for me and not Oklahoma because so many people was going to Oklahoma. It wasn't that I was afraid of it. I just felt that being from the state of Texas, it was best I played in the state of Texas and it worked out. Was there any consideration with SMU because they were a football powerhouse back then too? No, it was between Oklahoma, Texas, and that was about it because those were the two schools that was really dominating everything when I was coming up. So did Daryl Royal personally recruit you? Yes, he did, and he had a scout named Ken Dabbs. And Ken Dabbs spent more time with me than Daryl Royal. And... um, because he was a, once once again he was the recruit coordinator and once I got to had a chance to meet Coach Royal, uh, we hit it off right away. But Coach Dab started coming to my high school my sophomore year recruiting guys, and of course he lost those guys. But I believe that I was the first one that he recruited to come to the UT that he was after, and then a- Coach Royal and I got involved. What was it like to play for Coach Royal? Oh, it was great, man. It was like no nonsense, but uh, he wanted the best players and he wanted to get the best out of you. And it was more about, it was a lot about football, but it was more about the student and getting you ready to meet their life after sports. Did it surprise you when Coach Royal decided to retire after 76? Well, yeah, because, uh, you know, it was all of a sudden. But, uh, you know, I, as I, I thought it, it was a shock then, but as I got older and learned that after you stay in that game so long, it's nothing to do after you won national championships and colleges and all that. But so I felt as though the guys was uh, getting to where he could control them as much, and he couldn't get the best players like he was getting. And I believe that he decided that now and I went out of one, I came in winning, I'm going out of one hour, and nothing's wrong with having another interest in life. Did you just assume in your teammates that Mike Campbell was going to take over? Yes, I, I was so sure because he was the defense coordinator for so many years with Coach Royal, and he was right up under Coach Royal, yeah. So I felt as though he was going to take over. But see, Fred Akers 
was my running back coach my freshman year, and he had been working for Darrell Oyer for about 20 something years, I believe. So when he got the job, it just made sense because we all knew Fred Akers. Were you kind of happy they got rid of that wishbone and went to the one running back under Coach Akers? Well, looking back on it all, the best thing that happened in my whole career was that Coach Akers came in and changed everything up right away. And I think that was the best thing. And I believe that that's why our team was able to win that Heisman Trophy. And even though we lost, we competed against Notre Dame in the national championship. But Coach Akers is the winningest coach in the university history as of this day. Yeah, I mean, everybody just assumes it's Daryl Royal. I mean, no, the stadium's named after That's right. It's Coach Fred Akers. What was it like that 77 season when you won 11-0? and Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, Coach Akers was, uh, you know, all the guys knew him, as I said once again, because he was there with Coach Akers, uh, Coach Royal, but he was a great guy. He was a dynamic coach and um, we always used to get on him because he was a, uh, just very neat all the time. You see him at practice, he looked like he was GQ and game day, he always had on that suit and I mean, just an unbelievable guy but he was a very, very good coach uh, and I will continue to say the best thing that ever happened to me in my football career was when he came and changed the offense up and we won the Heisman Trophy, competed for the national championship. And as a gentleman told me uh, a few years ago, he says it wasn't about how many games Texas was going to win back then. We would wonder how many points we are going to beat them by. What was it like, that championship game against Notre Dame? Oh, it was, it was great. You know, Notre Dame was, see, what happened was, we were just getting into red-shirting people, but uh, Notre Dame not making no excuses. They had been doing it. So it was like four-year guys playing against uh, fifth-year, and some of them was the Ross Browns, and I didn't know him at the time, but the Joe Montana. I knew Ross Brown very well because Ross and I used to go on uh, all-American trips together. Um, they had a very good football team. Unfortunately, we fell short. They won, and life goes on. Did you realize that Joe Montana was going to become what he was watching him play in college? No, I didn't believe that. And uh, I really didn't realize who Joe Montana was when, until I got in pro football and he was playing on the team, San Francisco, that O.J. Simpson was on. And we was playing Astrodome, and I was concerned about watching O.J. Simpson as a runner. And this guy, Joe Montana, I said, oh, that's the guy, the quarterback that beat us. But, you know, great athletes emerge, and they get bigger, and they get some of them pan out, but Joe did. What was it like when you found out you won that Heisman Trophy? Oh, man, that was unbelievable. I never knew what the Heisman Trophy was until a guy named Tony Dorsett won Heisman. I was working a construction job my junior year before my senior year that summer, and a guy in the construction job had a newspaper, and he was reading it, and he was talking about the Heisman Trophy winner. This guy, Tony Dorsett, had got a job. 
And that on that construction job is when I made a decision that I wanted to try to win that trophy. And I went and told our trainer, Frank Medina, who was uh, Coach Eckers' trainer. And he had been at the university the whole time, many, many years. He said, if you want to do that, then you come over here and walk out and I start trying to work with you. And once again, you pay a price for something and our team got on a roll and winning the Hazard Trophy and sitting at goal just to let you know dreams do come true. Did you know you were going to be the first pick in the NFL draft in 78? No, I really did not. My roommate was a guy named Alfred Jackson. He played split in on our team, and he went to uh, Atlanta. The day of the draft, I was a speech communication major. I had a test. And he says, hey, what are you doing? And all I said, I got tested today. I'm going to school. He said, man, you crazy. I said, no, after I got this test, I'm going to school. I'll be back later on. Well, I got over on campus and got very messing around with some guys and people. I never made it home at 6 o'clock. He said, man, you got to be the luckiest guy in the world. This guy been calling you named Bum Phillips. I said, what do you want? He said, that's going to be your coach. That guy wore a cowboy hat down there in Houston, Bum Phillips. So that's how I found out that I was the number one draft choice and all that. So who was the first person you met from the Oilers? Was it Bum Phillips? Bum Phillips was the very first person I met. And what did Bum tell you, that I'm going to give you the ball 40 times a game and you're going to win a lot of games for me? Number one, Bum Phillips never knew my name was Earl Campbell, clean up until this day. He knew me as EC. And... He, you know, after we got talking and stuff, he said, hey, I, because it was popular back then that you get the number that you came out of college if you was the Heisman Trophy winner or one of the big-time running backs or, or, or an athlete. So he sat down and we was talking. He said, hey, you want number 20? I said, it don't matter to me. I don't think a jersey gets you into the end zone. He said, well, it's a guy I have number 20, but I'll get it if you want it. I said, no, that don't make me no difference. So we was in the locker room of the Oilers, and he reached in a laundry bag and got a jersey, threw it, hit me all in the face. He said, how about that number? I said, great with me. And I think because I didn't put in the pressure on him for that number 20, he started seeing that maybe it was just like a, a marriage from heaven because Bum and I was like father and son. And that's how I ended up with number 34. When you joined the Oilers, I mean, they didn't have a ton of talent there. I mean, you had Elvin Bethea, but was it hard playing for a team where you knew that it was basically not one of the top teams in the NFL? I think No, I didn't think about that. All I wanted to do was prove that I wasn't going to be a failure as the Heisman Trophy went on. Because when you won the Heisman back then, most guys didn't produce well. Tony Dorsett did, and, of course, I wanted to be like that over in Dallas where he was producing. And I knew I could play football. I knew God gave me that gift. Well, that style of football Bum Phillips had was, it was more than just style. It was about being a part of a family. And it, I think Bum Phillips cut some good guys that didn't want to be we. Uh, however, you could put as a team, we, 
and there was nothing about I with him, and that's why I believe our football team was overachievers because of his belief. It seemed like Bum just had a personality. You had he was the polar opposite of um, the Dallas coach in um, Tom Landry. Tom Landry was more. Oh, he was, a, he was he was the total opposite of any coach. I mean, he loved country music. He was just a great, great guy, man. Uh, I really miss him. He, he was a, a lot by life. He was a cowboy. He had ranches. He had cut horses. And, uh, an amazing thing, him and uh, Mayor Blount for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he had a lot of friends, but him and Mayor Blount was really tight because they would compete with those horses and Mel would go to his ranch a lot. Mel was always in our locker room. I mean, sure, we played against each other hard, but everybody loved Bomb because it was more than just about football. It was a life that, you know, just a being a good human being. Is he why you got into ranching? Well, a little bit. I went back. I, I used to work on this ranch when I was coming up. And... It used to be in my mother's family when she was a little girl. Um, and I went back and bought it my rookie year. The gentleman told my mom he would only sell it to me for this price. And I bought it in 1978 and been on it. And yesterday when you were chasing me, that's what I've been doing. I've been on a ranch for about four weeks of working and stuff like that. Did Bum Phillips teach you the work ethic that you have today? No, I would have to say the work ethic that I have today was taught by my mother. Yeah, Roy messed with her a little bit, put his blessings on it. Fred Akers put his blessing on it. Bum Phillips put his blessing on it. But the good Lord and my mother taught me how to do all that. Was she your toughest coach? I don't know. Um... She was my toughest critic, critic, I'd say, as far as making sure I was trying to do the right thing. And, you know, of course, I have six brothers and four sisters. And she says, Earl is just one of my kids. I'm number seven in the family. How did you get the nickname the Tyler Rose? Well, Tyler, Texas is known for the Rose capital of the world. And... I'm tired of working on ranches and stuff and hauling hay and all that stuff. When they would get, that's what I would do as my second job. My first job was working in the Rosefield. My family owned the Rosefield business and we worked in the Rosefields for other people. So one day, this guy uh, named Rick Ingram, who was our left guard, he heard me talking and doing an interview. He said, that'll way to go to Tyler Rose when I was at university. Like my freshman year. And that's how I got that. It stuck with me, the Tyler Rose. But I'm from there. And they grow roses. His mother was from there. And she knew. And that's how he knew. Yes. I know you named one of your kids Tyler. Did you know any many kids Rose? No. <laughs> I didn't have any girls. I have a Tyler Campbell. I have a Tyler Christian Campbell. My only son is Earl Christian the second. I just have two boys. I don't think either one would have wanted to be named Rose. No, no, no. It was better. <laughs>
When you played in that championship game against the Steelers, I remember Jack Hamm telling me that there was about a minute left to go in the game. The Steelers had the game won, and he said you came through there, and you basically came through, and you almost, I think you broke his helm, and he goes, Earl, what are you doing? The game's over, and you told him, I don't quit playing until the whistle blows. Is that true? That's right. I gave it my all until the game was over. Not just that game, but that's the way I played throughout my career. Who did you compete against when you're in the pros? Against Walter Payton, the other team, or just against yourself? Uh, no, I competed against a guy in Texas named uh, Tony Dorsett. I would get the uh, the guy on the airplane, the pilot, to call Dallas and see how many yards Tony Dorsett gained when we would play at home. I always wanted to outdo him, and then... On Mondays, I would try to find out what Eric Dickerson, what Walter Payne did, but I think in my day, Walter was the best, was the top of all the running backs. And, of course, the master was Jim Brown. And the more and more I played, the more and more people said I was like Jim Brown, but uh, Tony Dorsett and Walter Payton was two of the guys that I really competed against. Walter could run and catch, but I mean, it seemed like you were just a sure better running back than Walter, just running the ball, because, I mean, you had power and speed. Well, I don't know. You must have went to Walter Payton because he could kick those legs and put a move on you, and he could run over you as well. He was an all-around running back. I think my deal was I, w- I couldn't catch the football very well. I, w- I didn't like that. I wanted to run with it. And, you know, running backs do different things. That's why it's always hard to say who's the greatest of them all, I think. Was it hard playing with the Oilers, playing in the Cowboy Shadows in Texas? It seemed like Dallas was our America's team, and the Oilers are kind of forgotten about. Well, I'll tell you how Bum Phillips put it to us when we played them on our very first Thanksgiving when they used to play Washington Redskins every Thanksgiving. The first year they decided to play somebody else, it was the Houston Oilers. And Bum Phillips said his uh, pep talk or whatever you say before the game, you know, I didn't really believe in pep talks, but I listened to everything. He says, hey, let's go play, guys. Hell, let's go play America's team. They may be America's team, but we are Texas team. So, and we beat them on that Thanksgiving day. A lot of people that say was a that. Time in, that was a time in Texas when the Cowboys was hot, the Oilers was hot. I mean, everything was just great. Nolan Ryan pitching, Akeem Elijah one down there in Houston. I mean, it was just great. That was a great time to be in Texas. A lot of people feel that Bum Phillips ran you into the ground. Do you ever hold that against them? No, man, because I I feel like this, you know. If I didn't run the football 25, 30 times a game, I didn't feel like I was – I felt like when the full quarter got there or the full quarter was right in the middle of the full quarter was when I woke up and really wanted to play football. I needed that football in my hand that many times to do what I had to do. You pay a price for everything. To get something out of life, you pay a price to it. And I paid a price for it. But I did it my way. 
Who was the toughest defense you won against? It wasn't no doubt that Joe Green and Pittsburgh Steelers and LC Green and all that, you know, you get through with Joe, you had to deal with LC. You get through with LC, you had to deal with the whites. So they were just good all around. You mentioned LC Green when he's a guy who should be in the Hall of Fame who's kind of forgotten about. There's no doubt. And talking about Hall of Fame, as you talk about a guy, Robert Brazil should be in the Hall of Fame. I think as, as being in the Hall of Fame as myself, which I'm very blessed, I think the Hall of Fame need to do a better job is putting guys in the Hall of Fame that worked this deal and started it before the young people got in got in pro football. And Robert Brazil, how can you not put a 10 or 12 times out pro in there uh, rookie of the year. I mean, just an exceptional football player. How can you look over him and not put him in the Hall of Fame? But look at L.C. Greenwood. Four championships, and you're not going to put him in the Hall of Fame? So some somebody's doing something wrong. Another guy, I mean, who just got in, Curly Culp of Oiler. It took him mm-hmm. forever. That's right. When, when you got traded to New Orleans, was that fulfilling that you got to be reunited with Bum? I believe Warden said again. When you got traded to the Saints, was that real fulfilling or were you happy with that? Well, I, was, I, I don't know. I was on my dime legs and I knew it. Um, I only wanted to play football seven years when I came in for football. And I knew that. And when I was uh, down there, I knew I was on my last legs and I really didn't want to be there. Even though the New Orleans very nice to me, it just seemed unfortunate. Was your best game against the Chicago Bears when you had the 206 yards? Well, I'm going to let you people there can, uh, and over the country can say that. I'm not going to brag on that. <laughs> it had to be fulfilling, though, knowing that you're going against Walter Payton, though, in that game. i tell you one thing. The one thing I did do is I watched the running backs run because I wanted to run more. I wanted to do better than most of them. I remember you saying that your favorite possession is that picture of you and Walter Payton in the middle of the Mm -hmm. field. That's my favorite picture, man. That guy was funny. Did he ever play any jokes on you? Oh, yeah. That's what that picture was. He was laughing. He said something on the field. I can't remember. And I just bust out laughing. He was laughing. See, I played with Robert Bazier, Brian Perry, Leon Gray, and those guys was on the same college football team with Walter Payton. And we were all talking about that because back then, they told me that a lot of their second teams got drafted into the NFL as well. But Walter, if you talk to his brother, Eddie, he's, Eddie says he was a better runner than Walter. He was faster than Walter, and he was funnier than Walter. Yeah, well, you tell Eddie to don't go that far. He was good, <laughs> but not that good. Tell him not to get too excited. Tell him I said that. I will. And another teammate, yeah. of, teammate of yours at Texas, uh, Steve McMichael, he's not too shabby either to talk about him oh, being yeah. in the Hall of Fame. Yes, you know what we used to call him when he was in college? His nickname was Bam Bam. Why? 
We had that hit, that hair stick that like Bam Bam on that cartoon, so we always called him Bam Bam. And, and people in uh, Chicago, I would go and say, Steve and Mike, I said, who? It's your team. I said, oh, y'all talking about Bam Bam. I'll have to call him Bam Bam and then run, because he might chase Yeah. Me. <laughs> I would tell him when he tapped him, hey, Bam Bam, take it easy. Because <laughs> he wants to be called Mongo. Yeah, his real name Bam Bam. Now. How did you know when it was time to retire? Hmm? How did you know when it was time to hang it up? I was playing somebody on down there in New Orleans, and uh, I noticed I couldn't get in there and fight him like I used to. And then one Saturday night in preseason, was, was, this was the final deal. Ricky Jackson, a bunch of guys, you know, you only got like in preseason two or three hours or four hours after the game to mess around, go do what you want to. And they was asking me to come on and go, or come on and go. I said, no, man, I can't. So when I wanted to go to the restroom, I was crawling on the floor because my feet had swollen so much and so banged up. And I said, hey, this is not for this. I called my wife, I called Bum Phillips and said, hey, that's the way I want to go. And that's the way you got to do what you got to do. And that's the way I did. How did it feel like when you got in the Hall of Fame? I don't know how it feels to be President Obama. But that's the way I would say it feel, getting into the Hall of Fame, because that's the highest honor you can get as a pro football player. And I am very proud that people that played against, played well, and the peers that knew me over a span of years that playing pro football thought enough for me and felt like I was good enough to belong in the Hall of Fame. And then you got and a stand. And then you got a statue outside Royal Memorial Stadium. That had to be pretty ha- fulfilling for you, too. That was very uh, My mom is no longer here, but I'm so happy she had a chance to see that, be at the ceremony and everything. That's something that, you know, that will stand for life, your accomplishments. And uh, not only in the state of Texas, but the University of Texas felt like that was deserving. So I feel honored to be on the side of Wicked Williams. The thing I feel bad about is when Houston got the NFL team again, that they didn't get the Oiler name, that Tennessee wouldn't give it up. It just seems like Houston should have a team called the Oilers. Oh, it just, I mean, man, those people down there, uh, it's nothing like being a Houston on the fans. I know people say, there's nothing like being a Cleveland Brown or a Steeler or a Cowboy fans. I think the best fans in the world are those Houston fans. Because I never understood why they took the name Texans, because it was the Cowboys' original name, the Dallas Texans. It just seemed like, mm-hmm. be the Oilers. You're an Oiler. Well, I think money I do a lot of different things to people. And attitudes and who got more power and I don't think they would have wanted to move the orders. I think it was just a couple of guys that but I'm not some people my kids and they was playing a game and somebody said, Try this, I do this and it happened. Do you, but it's over. Do you feel that you're a Houston oiler, you're a part of the Houston Texans or or you're part of the Tennessee Titans? I'm a Texan, man. I'm a high school, my junior high, my 
my college, everything I've done, I went to the state of Texas, so I'm going to leave it like that. How did you end up getting into the meat business? Me and a couple of guys met, and uh, we started doing some cooking, and they had a barbecue, a restaurant, and it was kind of like a Saturday morning, kind of like this. And um, we was in the house cooking, and I got cocky and said he was going to go get somebody to make this, and it started, and good Lord blessed it, and that's the company. Do you raise your own uh, cattle? I raise cattle on my ranch. We buy that kind of meat from companies to make the sauces, not my cows. What's your favorite product? The hot links. The hot links and the uh, the cheddar, the hot cheddar that makes that cheese in the middle of the sausage. So are you selling any of the product here in Chicago? Well, I came up to a food show and my son, Tyler, who looks after that business, I think we should have some up there in the beginning of June, July. Sounds great. Are you going to come up for the draft here at the end of the month? I'm going to try not to. <laughs> I don't I'd rather be on the ranch or something like that. So are you still in the wheelchair or are you out of the wheelchair now? I'm out of it. And I remember you saying that Bump Phillips is the one who convinced you to get the surgery and that you were kind of scared to do it. Yes. So Bump was kind of like a father my figure. Real, yes. My real deal is I have something called spinal stenosis. Do you think that was caused by football, or you think that was just something you were born with? I think football didn't hurt it. I think that helped it. But I was born like that as well. A lot of people say they would never play football again if they knew what they had to go through later on in their life. Would you have changed your life if you knew what ha would have happened to you from playing football? If I could play right now, I'd do it all over again. I wouldn't change anything. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to have on former Atlanta Brave Bob Horner. You listen to Sports and Torts here on TalkZone.com. 